hard to be human, isn't it? It's hard to feel things. It's hard to, uh, to function sometimes. The reason that you, as a adult, have learned to be numb to things, you've learned to ignore things, whether it's fear, pain, anger, jealousy, is because you have to learn to survive. If you were emotional at all moments of your life, if you felt everything going on inside of you at all moments of your life, you would be unable to function in life. We have to learn to turn things off. And so we actually learn to see a headline about 11 lives lost and we turn off our ability to connect to it. We distance ourselves from it. See, vulnerability comes in proximity. The closer we get to someone, the harder it is to ignore them. The harder it is to keep our walls up. But part of being Christian is living our lives vulnerable, living our lives with walls down. It's difficult. So one of the things that that affects us is there is a a thing that comes with life. As you kind of grow older, as you mature as a human, you will learn how to sit in the shoes of someone else, right? How How to feel what someone else is going through. How to kind of see the world the way they see it. How to sit in the middle of a situation that you aren't in yet. But you're going to learn how to put yourself into this. This is part of the way that we grow as Christians. We learn how to love people because we learn how to understand people. It's one of the key things. When Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves, there's, there's a challenge here, but one of the problems for us is how do I love someone I don't understand? How do I love someone I don't know? And so part of growing in Christ is learning how to get comfortable in other people's shoes. Do you like to try on other people's shoes? Come on. Okay, how about this, guys? Uh, or how about moms? Which of your sons, when they were growing up, loved to try on your shoes? Walk around the house in your high heel stilettos? All of them. Amen. Someone who's honest. Preach it. Okay. So we know some of you had that hidden desire. All right. We're not going to talk anymore about that. Make you uncomfortable. But there is a, an importance, right, to learning how to sit in other people's shoes. Now, before we go any farther, we are on our new series, okay? We are talking about the parables of Jesus. We could not figure out how to describe what the parables of Jesus do to us. Like, what series name do we give this? And so we thought the only thing fitting for a series about the parables is an emoji. So welcome to the mind-blown emoji series. So if you guys are taking notes, if you, if you want to draw the mind-blown emoji, you can go ahead and try that. I'm not sure how that's going to work for you. But the idea of the parables is this. Parables were the movie experience, the IMAX experience before TVs were TVs, before we had computers, videos, before I asked you about, hey, what's Australia like? And you would Google it and you see a video, right? Before we could take you places with multimedia, how could I describe something you've never seen? How can I let you experience an experience you've never experienced before without taking you there physically? See, we're going back into the Bible, a time when words had so much more weight. They're so much more precious than how they are now. We're careless with words. We are terrible communicators. Who loves to text? All the introverts love texting. I love texting. Don't call me. Text me first. Ask me if you can call me. I'll say, maybe. Anybody? Wow, you guys are asleep this morning. That was a good one. That's a song, if you didn't know. Call me. There you go. (laughs) Come on. So, in a time when words were precious, in a time when words were powerful, 
Words were the way that I could take you somewhere you've never been before. Words are the way I could show you something that you've never seen. I could let you step into a world that you've never been to before. So when Jesus uses parables, he's not just teaching you a, a moralistic story. He's not teaching you a, a children's rhyme. Here, be nice to people. Amen. Go home. He's saying this. When he begins to start a parable, start it with this in your mind. Imagine a place where, or imagine this. Allow your imagination to kick in. Again, you are in a place now where no one's going to do the work for you. No one's going to put the emoji on the screen for you. You've got to get there on your own. Use your brain. Amen. Who wants to use our brain this morning? Okay, that's work. Let's not do that. All right. And so with the parables, when you begin to read the parables, the parables are saying this. Imagine a place where. And so this morning, the parable that we're going to tackle, it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. Who, who uses that word shrewd in your everyday week? Anybody? This parable has been nicknamed the hardest parable. Here's why. Because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This parable contradicts itself. This parable even contradicts the rest of the teachings of Jesus. If you take this parable, there are scholars who argue and say, no, Jesus didn't even say this parable because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't fit with anything he said before it or anything he says after it. This is the hardest parable. How does this parable make sense but the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's easy to get there if you don't understand one of the tricks that Jesus does with parables. See, there is a, a, a natural human habit. When you hear a story, you naturally gravitate to a character. It's going to be either the person who you think is a good guy or the person you have the most in common with. You're going to begin to walk through the story as that person. You're going to interpret and see things the way that person would see them. But Jesus has this habit of telling stories that trick us into liking the bad guy. For example, who loves Fox News? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Imagine a story where the CNN newscaster was the good guy. Come on. Everyone who didn't vote for Trump, all three of you. Imagine a story where the Trump voter is the good guy. How angry are you going to be? How frustrated are you going to be by that? Imagine a story where the Alabama Tide fan is the hero. And you go, no, those people, amen, we'll move on. You get the idea. There is a trick that happens in the parables. Because what Jesus is doing is he knows something. He knows that there is a transformation that happens when we stand in the shoes of someone else. If I see the world through someone else's perspective, if I, if I, if I walk into the story and I experience it the way this person would, it's going to change me. See, parables are not just about getting a point. Parables are, are to be experienced. They're to be walked around in almost. It's almost like I'm going to paint a picture, and I want you to step into it, explore it a little bit. And so the parables, we're going to give three different sets of shoes in this parable. I want you to, to read the story from three different points of view because there are three different experiences that this parable offers us. And remember, Parables are not about doctrines. This is not where we debate the details of what Christians believe about God. Parables are where Jesus wants something to affect us, to get into us, to change us. And so the first point of view for this parable is going to be the master. Now, I hope you guys kind of got the gist of the story. The master has all of this wealth, and he has a steward. Okay, the guy who's in charge of all of his money. 
And this guy is being careless. He's reckless. And so he's been losing resources because he's not a careful manager. So the response of this master is to fire him. You stink at your job, so I'm going to fire you. But he says something interesting at the end of this. At the end of this, he goes down and he commends this, this steward. He says, well, surely there's something to be blessed here. You knew that what you should have done with the money is give it away to all of these people, these debtors. Because the trick was the steward knew he was losing his job. So how am I going to survive after I lose my income? Here's the deal. I'll go to everyone who owes my master money and I'll forgive their debt. So that when the master fires me, all these people will take care of me. Sound smart? Okay. And so he goes and does this. But see, here's what's crazy about the parable. The response of the master is very interesting. He says, okay, what you've done well is you've known that money is fleeting, but what lasts into eternity is relationships. So because you have gone and you've given money to all these people, now you have relationships that last for eternity. Here's the first set of shoes I want you to, to see this in. Here's our board. Who, who, who played Monopoly? Anybody? Good. You guys are so much better than the first service. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them you're my favorites. Okay. Here is the board. There's something about a board game. You can study every single piece, right? You see everything the way it is. You're watching it, trying to figure out the moves. Okay, I want this piece. I want that property. I want that property. Who needs the railroads? That's garbage. You can have the railroads. Okay. And the idea here is from the viewpoint of the master, here's what this parable is saying. Imagine if eternity was more real to you than this moment. Imagine if the life which you will have after this life was more real to you in this moment. I felt it. I hungered for it. I thought about it. I was passionate about it. What if that life to come meant more to you than this life right here? How would you handle money, resources? Because see, from the manager's point of view, the steward is going out, and in the moment, he's giving away all of the manager's, all the master's money because he's looking to the future. Because he knows he's about to get cut off, and he's going to need to have something that lasts. What is going to last? If I steal the money from my master, I'll only have enough to last so many years. But if I build these relationships that will last longer than that money will last, I can have something that lasts longer. He's looking to the future. So this parable says to you from the first shoes, from the shoes of the master, it says this, what if eternity was more real to you than what's temporary? Specifically, how would you handle your money if you cared more about the life to come than this life? Now, there's a word that Jesus uses in this. He goes on, he talks about being faithful. He said, he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. He who's not faithful with little will not be faithful with much. So anyone who's proven faithful, I can, I can invest more in them. They can handle more. But he talked, he ends it with saying this. But you can only serve one master. You can't serve both God and wealth. But the word he uses for wealth, it doesn't translate in English. He uses this word that goes back to Babylon. It's called mammon. If you serve mammon. Now the idea of mammon goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Do you guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel? They built a tall t tower. Okay, in the Bible, there's a certain type of money that has attachment. It controls us. It, it's, mammon is talked about as something that's alive. It has intentions. It, it, can, it can move and act in the world. It's evil. 
And mammon controls man to believe that it can be God in this life. It focuses man on this life in this world and what I can have now. And when man is controlled by mammon, there's always one reaction. He begins to accumulate, to build up. Picture like uh, sand or something, right? If you begin to gather sand yourself, what's going to happen? It's going to form a what? Mound. You make taller and taller and, right? We get the idea? Okay, nod for me. All right. Uh, Ever played like uh, King of the Hill, right? You get on on the hill and you push everyone else down. Mammon. This is what happens. The idea is like mammon works in Egypt. And it says, we're going to push down the Israelites and we're going to build ourselves up. We're going to, it says to Babylon, we're going to push down the Assyrians and we're going to build up Babylon. It says to the U.S., we're going to push, and we're, no, I'm sorry. Um, it says we're going to build us up and we're going to push everyone else down. This is what mammon does, right? Because mammon is only concerned about this life. But what if there were consequences for how I treat the person at the bottom of the hill? What if there are are rewards for the way that I handle the wealth I accumulate? What if there's a master that's bigger than the master I'm stealing from? What if there's a life after this life? What if my life, if I began to push the wealth out. What if God would reward me on the other side of this life if I use this wealth to serve people? What if instead of building my life in this moment, I use my life and I use my wealth to bring others up? Because see, what's eternal and the life that's to come, the first shoes tell us this. Your money, no matter how big your empire or your boats or your vacations or your business, doesn't matter what you build in this life, it will never come with you. Period. It is only temporary. You might not wake up in the morning and that mound which you just accumulated is going to be someone else's. No one in Babylon ever thought Babylon was going to fall. No one in Rome ever thought, oh, well, you know, in five years we're going to fall. No one in the U.S. thinks the U.S. is ever going to fall apart. But I'll tell you this. You will wake up one morning, no matter how big your hill, and someone else will be on top of it. This is the way that mammon works. But if eternity is more real than the moment, then I will spend my life doing this instead of doing this. And if I spend my life using money, wealth, if I, if I take control of mammon and I use it to bring people up, to free people, not to weigh them down with debt or burden or need, but I use my money to bring people up. See, he's tying all the way back to the year of Jubilee. He's doing some trickeration here. Because see, the Jews know, the hearers know that God has condemned all users of interest to to use money to push people down. And he's declared the kingdom is going to be like the year of Jubilee where God comes in and takes everyone who's up and brings them down, everyone who's down and brings them up. And if I live my life doing this, in the life to come, I'm going to come Let's turn the board. You guys ready? Now, what does the parable do if we look at it from the shoes of the steward? What's so frustrating about this parable is this. The master who who owns all of the goods, he curses and blesses the steward for the same behavior. Here, see it. So the steward is being reckless, meaning to act in a way to where you're not concerned with consequences. 
And he's being reckless with all the treasures of his master. He's kind of giving them out here and there, right? And his master does what? You're fired. And then the steward goes back to the master's debts and does what? Is reckless, careless, begins to forgive all the debts. And, and, and guess what? He gets blessed for it. How can I be cursed and blessed for the same behavior? The steward never changed his behavior. Do you see this? He was doing the same thing the entire time. Here's what these shoes tell you. There's something deeper going on here. From the shoes of the steward, there's a certain type of behavior which from one point of view looks evil, but from the other looks like a blessing. How about this? Imagine this. How would you react if I said, imagine if you had a Savior who was reckless with the treasures of the kingdom of God. Giving them to people who haven't earned them. Pouring out the goodness of God into lives that don't deserve it. What if I said you have a Savior who likes to forgive debts? What if I said this? What if you had a steward, a Savior of the kingdom of heaven, who was willing to be reckless in the way that the only one who gets hurt is himself? He comes to you and says, hey, I'll forgive all your debts, and there will be a price, but I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get cut off for this, but I'm going to forgive all of your debts, and I'm going to take the consequences. I will only be reckless in the way that it affects me. I will never be reckless in the way that it will hurt you. I will only be reckless in the way that it hurts me. Have you ever heard a story like that before? Yep, Somewhere called the good news, the gospel. You ever heard about that before? Hey, that steward's not, that's in the Bible somewhere. That steward's not such a bad guy. Now, if you're reading from the master, the steward's a loser. Fire that terrible employee, right? But all of a sudden, if you're seeing it from the steward's point of view, how about this? What happens if you're the debtor? From this point of view, how would you respond if you had a debt-forgiving type of God? What if you had a type of God who was careless, meaning who gave all the riches to people who could not ever repay? What if you forgave all the debts, all the things you would ever have to? What if you had a God like that? Hopefully. How would that change your life? How would that change the way you pray, the way you worship, the way you live? What if you had a God like that who was reckless in abandonment to lavish you with good things, knowing that the only one who's going to pay the price for this? Now there's one more set of shoes that we want to see this from. Here's the third spotlight that's going on here, right? We're going to read this from the role of the debtor. Now, what's interesting about the debtor is this, okay? We like the steward because the steward is, you know, forgiving our debts. But let's just remember what's going on here. This entire story is based on a system of debt, meaning people who owe someone else money, and the guy at the top, the master, is continuing to add to the debt. Well, you owe me that money, you've owed me for a month, so I'm going to add on more. And it's been two months, I'm going to add on more. That's called what? Interest. Who has credit cards? Okay, so the master is like Chase, Capital One, how about that? Okay, do you like that master? Is that a good guy? Okay, the 
steward is the person who can't speak English who calls you about your debts. Amen? And I'm going to be so nice to you today. You know what? You owe us $10,000, but I'm going to reduce it to $9,000. Is that guy still a good guy? No. <laughs> Elite. No, okay. I won't even get on a rant about this. If you're going to call me to charge money, at least speak English. That's all I'm saying. At least translate and tell me how much I owe you. Okay, you get the idea. No. Yes, I like the steward a little bit more, but he's still a bad guy. What if the bad guy is both the master and the steward? What if the only good guy in the story is the, is the, the poor soul who's at the bottom of the hill? But wait. The master and the steward are only playing the game that they've been told to play. What if the bad guy in this, if I look at the board this way, what if the bad guy isn't the master, it's not the steward, what if the game itself is the bad guy? What if this entire broken way of interacting with the people around me is the bad guy? What if the system is broken? What if the, the bad guy is bigger than a human being? What if the bad guy is bigger than that? Now see, there's something that happens here. What if what the parable is telling us is that the real problem is not that you are bad or that the steward is bad or that the master is bad. The real problem is that this stinking thing is broken. Yes, we are broken, but we are broken because it is broken. And what if the goal of God wasn't to come fix you, you, you terrible broken sinner? What if it was come, to come and to fix the entire thing? What if the problem is that this broken earth is all messed up and jacked up and we have violence and we have rape and we have genocide, extortion? So what is throw it away. How about that? Or where we just like replace it with heaven and we just kind of just throw that away and we're just going to do heaven for now. We're all just going to float, you know, in clouds with harps. Sounds so much better. Awesome. Or what if this whole thing is broken but it's not, it's too valuable to throw away? What if this system, this entire game is broken and we don't need to play it anymore? We're going to do life a different way. We're going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the one who's really in control of the board game isn't just going to fix the master or the steward or the debtor. He's going to close the entire game and say, we're not playing this way anymore. Because it always and only creates losers. It always and only creates hate. It always and only creates violence. I'm not sure if you've read the parables of Jesus much, but I'll, I'll try to fill it in for you. Jesus talks about this place called the kingdom. What the kingdom is, is how things operate when God is in control. And the first place we see the kingdom at work is in the book of Acts. What if instead of this broken system, we do it a different way? What if you, instead of accumulating your wealth for you, what if you spend your wealth for the person next to you? And what if instead of trying to fix everyone around you and trying to believe that God is, is here just to... What if we realize that, yes, you and you and you and you are broken, but what if this is broken? And I change the way I see you. What if the enemy is something bigger? What if we 
put a name on the enemy? What if we say this, this, this enemy has a name and a face? What if we call this enemy Satan? Because see, if that is my enemy, you are not my enemy. See, in every story that you ever read, you always look for two characters. The good guy and the bad guy. See, that's the way that comic books work, right? Here's the good guy. We like him. Superman, awesome. Here's the bad guy. Superman fans, anybody? I, I will pray for you. If you have a very good sense for story, you like what? Batman. Because Batman is both what? Good and Gray area, people. Amen. That's where God's at work. <laughs> hey, hey, that belt is amazing. If, 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 oh, just. This utility belt fixes everything. I don't know. This is the space where we realize that maybe the Jews aren't the bad guys. Maybe the, the Muslims aren't the bad guys. Maybe the, the, the blacks or the whites aren't the bad guys. Maybe... There's something bigger at work. Maybe our focus isn't on trying to attack our enemies. What if the focus is on fixing the bigger thing? What is really out to get us? Because there's something that happens. When I have a God who doesn't allow me to label you my enemy, the way I treat you has to change. When I have a God who doesn't allow me to sit and say, oh, well, see, just sit down right here and see the person across the table from you, that's your enemy. Trinity. No, because see, now I'm going to sit in these shoes, and I'm going to sit in these shoes, and I'm going to sit in these shoes, and I'm going to see what it's like. I'm, I've always seen these guys, the enemy, but how would I feel about America if my, if my entire home was bombed and when I woke up and when I was six years old, the only thing I've ever known was a, a country destroyed by a flag? Would I love them or hate them? What if I didn't grow up Christian? What if I grew up Hindu my entire life? How would that change me? What would sitting in these shoes do to me? See, there's something that transforms you. When you learn to sit and stand in these other positions, it transforms you. And God is always at work with this little kind of a trick he does. See, love your neighbor, which just means the person next to you. And this person, and this person. And this person, and what happens when I begin to stand in all these shoes, I'm having a hard time finding the bad guy. I can find bad in every single person. That's not hard at all. If you're an honest person, even halfway honest, you can find the bad in the mirror every morning. There's bad in every single person. Brokenness in every single life, and every heart, and every intention. But when I begin to realize there's something bigger at work here, God is at work not just to fix me and to make me less of a sinner, to fix you, to make you less of a sinner, or to punish this bad guy or that bad guy. What if he's at work to do something bigger? See, the parables are not the place for us to, to argue over doctrine. The parables are a place for experience. Psychologists will tell you, it is difficult for a human being to change their mind. There are not many of you in here who have the ability to listen to a sound, logical argument and change your mind. But experience can change your mind. Experience is the most powerful thing in altering the way that you see the world. To literally have to live life in someone else's shoes transforms you. 
See, I know people who have gone on mission trips, and they come back and say, you know, we didn't really even do much. We carried water, we helped, we helped to build a house, whatever. But being in a different world, living life from a different point of view, transformed me. I'm different now. I can't ever go back the way I was before. I will always see life from a new angle. You see, the parables challenge us. They say, you think you see the whole board, but you don't. You have to learn to allow each of these viewpoints, each of these sets of shoes to affect you, to change you. Would you stand with me this morning? So there are three things that we're left with from these par- this parable. The first set of shoes says this. What if eternity was more real to you than the moment? How would you live your life? How would you spend your time? If you knew you only had this much time, how would you spend it? If you knew that that the way you handle your money was going to affect your future, how would you use it? Would you spend your life doing this, or would you spend your life doing that? If eternity was more real to you than this moment is real to you, then people would be the most precious commodity. Being faithful with little in the parables, being faithful with money, that's the easy stuff. If you can't be trusted with money, you can't be trusted with what really matters in life. People. If you haven't figured that out, you're a long way off. This, the money, that's, it's a tool, it's useful, it's helpful, it does all sorts of amazing things, but that's not the good stuff in life. But if you can't learn to live your life like this, you aren't ready to handle the people, the real good stuff. You're not ready to steward the most valuable things in life. And that second point of view tells us this. How would your life change if you really believed that you had a debt-forgiving God? What if you had a God who was reckless to abandon his own safety? A God who was willing to pour into the lives of people who did not deserve it, who did not earn it, who had no claim to it, had no right to it, but to pour out himself and the kingdom of heaven into our lives knowing that there would be consequence, but that he would take it for us what kind of life would you have how would you pray how would you study how would you love people how would you worship if you knew you had a debt forgiving type of God and lastly what would your world look like if you couldn't pin anyone as your enemy what if you lived a life full of neighbors (laughs) I am living my life how to love these people around me I know there are people who might try to hurt me. I know there are people who see me as their enemy. But I don't care what they see me as. They are not my enemy. Because my God does not give me permission to label them my enemy. They are my neighbor. And what if I value and love that neighbor so much, that enemy so much, that person I couldn't stand, the person I didn't understand, the person I hated. What if I valued them enough, if I saw the image of God in them enough to be willing to try out their shoes just for a moment, just for a second. What is life like from this point of view? How would that affect me? How would that change me? Father, we just come to you this morning and There is a point of view, there is a a set of shoes in this parable that's difficult for all of us. There are some that come easy and some that don't come so easy. So Father, we just pray this morning you would help us, Lord. If our life, if if every week goes by so fast, if we're just from work to work, from appointment to appointment, from event to event, and we're just exhausted, if this 
moment-to-moment life is distracting us from what's going to come, the eternal life, the life that has no end, wake us up to eternity. If money is, or the lack of money, the accumulation of money or paying off debt is consuming our lives, give us grace. Let us step back. If we see you as a God who keeps a record of wrongs, if we see you as a God who is watching every single mistake we make, if we see you as a God who's not willing to forgive, who doesn't give fresh starts, who doesn't give do-overs, who doesn't forgive debts, help us. And if we have so many enemies in our life, there's so many people that we are allowed or justified to hate, challenge us. Challenge us. Which of the children of God are we allowed to hate? Challenge us, Lord. I just want to invite the prayer team to come on up. As Christians, we believe that uh, the laying on of hands is a, is a very holy and sacred thing. We call it a sacrament, meaning a place where we believe that God meets with us. That when we come as broken people and we're vulnerable enough to confess our issues or problems or hurts to someone else, and to believe that, that when that broken person prays with us, lay hands on us, that God is going to show up. That when broken and broken combined, it makes whole. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But we have faith. That when broken and broken combined with God, wholeness is what comes out of us. Father, we just come to you vulnerably. If there's anything that we need prayer for, just give us courage to bring it forward. If there's any of us this morning who want to start a fresh walk with Christ, give us courage to come forward. Jesus' name.